0: You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula still has all your Star Wars miniatures, all your comic books, and all your Magic the Gathering tournaments every day of the week. But now they're making it easier for wheelchair users to come into their store because they're building an accessible washroom. This one hits home for me, you guys. I'm a person who uses a mobility scooter, and it's just easier for me to use the washroom when it's accessible. And there's a lot of comic shops, even in downtown Toronto, that don't have accessible washrooms. So I'm very proud to announce that uh, Harry Tarantula is doing what they need to do to move the needle forward and make their place more accessible for everyone. They're also building a cafe. Uh, this has been a really uh, successful thing around Toronto, marrying uh, coffee with comics. And uh, Harry Tarantula is following suit. So come on down to 3456 Young Street, show them your support, and tell them Aaron sent you. listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that
1: goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman.
0: Hey, fan people. Uh, before we start our uh, episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at com, we just have a little bit of a quickie interview live from TCAF, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, with... Uh, Ken and Joan Stese, they're the Canadian comics power couple. Ken, you know uh, from uh, War Bears with Margaret Atwood. And Joan has her own graphic novel out from Conundrum Press called Aurora Borealis. Alice is spelt like the name Alice, A-L-I-C-E. Welcome, guys. How are you? Real good. Thanks so much.
1: Good. Good to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So you're
0: promoting your books as husband and wife. Is this the first time uh, that you've been able to have work out together?
1: It it just happened to be published uh, our books happened to be published at this time. We didn't plan this. It okay. it just is I don't know. We got them finished at the same time and you
2: know. It's kind of serendipity. It's also we're just coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary. So this is a wonderful Way to celebrate with, with <laughs> back-to-back
0: graphic novels. So, um, Joan, Ken is more well, like he's more well-known in comics for some of the work that that he's done, and and but does it does it affect your work at all? Uh, being his wife, having the DC name, do you have to? Uh, sort of step out of his shadow in any way. What What do you think? Well, you
1: know, you know, I I, I tell my students every year. I say it, it's hard to take root under an oak tree, but it's not impossible. Yeah. And you know, if you just be yourself. And I am very different than Ken. Right. In many ways, and uh, our styles are like day and night. So we're we're not really competing uh, with one another in in the comics that we do. Right. Um. And um. It took me a long time to realize that, um, well, when, you know, in our, early in our relationship, it was all mainstream comics. I knew my drawing style was not strong enough to compete with that, so I gave up. Forget it, forget it. But then graphic novels came along, and I realized that everybody has their personal style, and they should embrace it and, and tell their stories that way.
0: Right. So tell me about uh, Borealis. What is... Borealis, as you say, it's very different from Ken's style. So how would you describe it?
1: What, the artwork or the...
0: The the artwork, the content, what it's about, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a more personal story um, of uh, my um, trouble with literacy, uh, you know, and realizing that when, you know, I graduated from high school, I was functionally illiterate and I had to do something about that. And I was one of these people that fell through the cracks. And, you know, it was all up to me to change that and and not be, you know, put down for that. Um, But uh, my meeting with uh, Martin McLuhan and um, his son, Eric McLuhan, kind of changed my life because Eric was a a teacher the last year of of art college, OCA, Ontario College of Art. Um, And he became a, a very good friend and a mentor over the years. And when somebody like that you know believed in what you do um... it it made me more confident to go ahead and and do what i do um, so yeah and and with ken's help as well being a comic book artist um, he could help me uh... actually to tell my story through comics and it was the perfect vehicle to do it
0: right yeah so how did you meet the mccluans tell me that story
1: um, well a friend of a friend <laughs> Yeah, it, it just happened, it, it was serendipitous, and and the whole uh, literacy thing, and what McLuhan was talking about, you know, the book culture is being replaced by the, you know, technological advances with, with the television and, and now computers, has a profound effect on, um, you know, literacy and everything, um, but I, I found in the end of my book, I, I wanted to, I don't know, just, I, I embrace. The technology of uh, the computer because it helped me you know especially with my spelling um, right whereas now anybody can be a bad speller and they're not put down for it but when I was growing up you really were put down for being a bad speller so I, I stayed away from writing I, I wasn't confident but now it's like well it's okay it's it's like
0: so it in Borealis uh, you, you put in a little bit of your struggle with uh, illiteracy and that sort of yeah. thing. and yeah. what does the character go through? Like what's the journey?
1: Um, well, after high school and um, almost believing you know what they've been telling you and yeah. uh, you know in my own father, um, he didn't do it in a mean way, but he figured that, well, you're a dummy and that's it, you. Know? It's yeah. <laughs> and I, I, deep down inside, I did not believe that. Um, you know, I was held up to my sister, who, the smart one, but, um, you know, I, I had to overcome that on a personal level, uh, growing up, uh, through elementary school where they failed and failed and failed me right. in every grade and nobody took me aside and helped right. in, in any ways. Um, and, uh, then, uh, <laughs> uh in high school, yeah, but getting... Going through high school, it wasn't a regular high school. It was a vocational school. That's what they did to people. Right. Because Um, you
0: had a disability, so you couldn't be mainstreamed in the regular program. That's right.
1: And I always wanted to go to a real high school, but I didn't. So, anyways, I mean, those vocational schools are great for trades. They get you a job and, you know, you can move on. But I I was more cerebral. I, I really wanted to read these books about Shakespeare and poetry that I never got. Like, I didn't know the word metaphor when I graduated. I mean, it was not given to me. And I, I craved that hunger to uh, of, uh, getting that education. And so I got a, uh, an art scholarship that got me into Sheridan College, that got me into Ontario College of Art.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: But after that, um, when we moved out to the coast, I wanted to go to university. And that was a very big theme in the book. It's like, I want to go, I go, and it was tough but I got through it and I got the diploma and um, at a certain point I almost dropped out because it was so tough but um, my mentor Eric encouraged me to go on and continue and uh, you know so anyways um, writing my graphic novel uh, Eric referred to it as my odyssey right through the educational system and and getting over right. it and so it it really um, solidified like me as uh, an artist and, and uh, accepting my personal style right and that's me because you know and I wasn't comparing myself to Ken it was just uh, if I can communicate through this medium graphic novel um that that's great it's and you know having McLuhan as the communication theorist and shaking his hand uh when he had a stroke he could not speak right and i could not really speak and uh, you know to a comfortable level but i had to overcome that and i have over the years so
0: i i really appreciate your perseverance um now that the book is out and published, and you're at TCAF promoting it, what has the response been? Has it been affirming? And, and are you even more confident now from what people are saying about your book?
1: Well, to be on the CBC uh, 10 uh, graphic novels to read, I mean, holy cow. Yeah. I, I was just, you know, over the moon about that. And I, I really do want people to read it, and I, I and different ages. Um, you know, to see, you uh, know, I, I don't know, a lot of people maybe will be able to relate to it in some way, um, mm-hmm. you know, language. Even somebody, I have a friend who's uh, French-Canadian, and um, she responded to it in a way that I never dreamed of, that, you know... What did she say? Well, you know, the, the French in struggling with English. Right,
0: right, right, yeah, the language barriers. Mm-hmm.
1: So... Um, That was really interesting to me. So, you know, it would be really nice if it was translated into French, maybe. I don't know, a different audience. Uh, But, you know, the response has been very positive and and people come to me and say, you know, oh, I wept and wept and wept. It's like, (laughs) oh my gosh. very emotional for a lot of people.
0: Right, right. That's awesome. And Ken, what do you think about the response to Joan's book? You were there as she was going through this process. You know about her struggles with illiteracy, obviously. As a husband and a fellow comic creator... Uh, how do you feel about uh, the success, and how do you identify with the process that she went through? I'm insanely jealous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, as Joan said, uh, her story is first and foremost. I am, you know, so you know, uh, I'm so proud of Jones, uh, her struggle, her perseverance, as you say, her right. you know, her her journey. This um, didn't Eric also refer to it as your as your thesis almost? you know you're you're what
1: you're, you're, is or, or, or the no, thesis no no sorry a, oh. p, a phd okay, yeah, a okay phd yeah.
2: so it and, and and also like just how brave she is that she was so forthcoming with her story at a time when you know as as you know people are shamed for so many things and and not being able to to speak or write properly was something that was always... And, and you'll see in the book that it was something that I grew up in a household where at one point, because I, I did very badly in school too, but because I knew when I was 11 I was going to draw comics. Right. And, you know, that was all there was to it. But that meant I got terrible marks. And at one point, my parents wanted to put me in a... Or the, uh, the counselors at my high school wanted to put me in a vocational school. My parents went ape. They, they, it's like they would not an officer's son would never be like sent there. So right. I had a great deal of pressure to you know, to perform that way. So now, in their defense, I have to say that they never, ultimately they never tried to dissuade me from so atypical a career path for a, a military brat. Um, but it wasn't until I think we were married, had kids, had a mortgage and a lawnmower, that they finally started to relax and go, okay, this is for real, this comic book. Right, yeah. right, so, right, But yeah, it was, it was um, I decided when I was 11 I was gonna do this. I went to New York when I was 19. I banged on Stan Lee's door and asked for a job, and he said, who is this kid? Go talk to John Ramirez, the art director. And I was offered a work as an inker.
0: Wow, and then right I, away.
2: Uh, yeah, And then, but then I, I had one of those revelations where you know, uh, wanting something and having it are two different things. And I realized I wanted this since I was 11, but I'm not happy, what's wrong? And I took a very long, hard look at myself and realized I didn't know Doodly Squat. I, I knew how to copy other artists Badly, so I decided to go back to school, and I went to Sheridan College. I originally wanted to go there because they had a cartooning course, but it was filled up. And then I thought, well, maybe graphic design—that was filled up. And all that was left was art fundamentals, right. which is exactly what I needed. I needed to unlearn bad habits, and learn good habits, and just have a real smorgasbord. Just—I ne- I needed to play for a year, right. and uh, in, in, in um, you know, like a lot of different art disciplines, and. Uh, fate sort of stepped in, and the very first person I met on the very first day of, of art college was Joan. And again, you can read all about it in Aurora Borealis. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but then after that, I um, we finished college. I was actually in my second year. Um, I was turning in comics instead of film and video because I was studying film and video as analogies as analogous to um, uh, comics. Okay. But I was getting, I was failing or getting bad marks because I wasn't making films and videos, I was making comics. Right. So in my second year uh, for my um, uh, scholarship critique, I did a slideshow okay. with this really pretentious title, uh, The Sequential Narrative, A Structural Analysis. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it I said, this is who I am and what I'm all about. Are there any more questions? And they said, mm-hmm. no, thank you. And they gave me a scholarship that year and then in my graduating year, uh, I did a show of The Sacred and the Profane, which is the first graphic novel that I was working on for Star Reach magazine. Wow, okay. And I won three scholarships that year, including the Lieutenant Governor's Medal wow. for my work in sequential art. Now, that's this amazing. is 1978, Wow! so that's how far back you know oh, man. They, they had acknowledged the value of this stuff. So then after that, um, I did uh, graphic design, illustration, and I finally got rid of those, and, and comics. And it took me about five years before I was just doing comics exclusively. Then after that, I just did all the... I have a very short attention span, yeah. so, but there's a lot of things I wanted to do. I wanted to do Iron Man because he was my favorite, and I ended up doing Astro Boy because our kids love you know, the uh, the anime. and I just kind of jumped around a lot, but as long as I was telling stories and words and pictures, I was really happy. Did you... With the
0: juxtaposition of going to New York and then coming back for school, what did you learn from the New York experience that you didn't learn in school and vice versa like what you kind of did reverse like you knew what the profession was like before you even entered the school class so did that affect like how you felt about comics and like what did what did the new york experience teach you that school did not Um, what it taught me was that i i really didn't like uh
2: the process because i'm a big show off i want to take all the credit or accept all the blame for what i do and when you worked in comics in those days, uh, everyone was a specialist. It was, it was. You were a writer, a penciler, an inker, a letterer, a colorist. You know, nobody did any more than one task. It was right. like, it was like uh, building a, a car on a GM assembly line. I hated. You that. were you were a
0: cog in the machine. Exactly, and, and nobody wa- knew who you were.
2: Exactly. I didn't. I didn't want to do that. Um, so I wanted to learn all those disciplines so that I could, you know, produce work that I could take. Take credit for, or right. have to defend if, if you know if necessary, and that's right. that's kind of been my, um, you know, my approach ever since. As much as possible, you know, occasionally you do parse out one of those skills, but for the most part, everything I do, I have you know written, illustrated, designed nice. the whole shebang.
0: So speaking of that, tell me about the newest project, War Bears, which you drew with Margaret Atwood uh, doing the writing. First of all, what is it like to work with Margaret Atwood?
2: Uh, it was a, a fantastic experience. Uh, in uh, on Canada's 150th birthday, the Globe and Mail asked a bunch of Canadian writers to write about a period in Canadian history that interested them. And Margaret's always been a big um, history buff, military history buff, and she wrote this wonderful bittersweet story about the rise and demise of a fictional Canadian comics company during the Second World War. And what most people don't know is that we actually had Indigenous comics here that. And the reason that happened was because there was a trade embargo um, on unnecessary goods in the States, which included publications like comics. So overnight, four little comics companies sprang up in Canada, one in Montreal, two in Toronto, and one in Vancouver.
0: And these are the Canadian whites, right?
2: Exactly. And so, but then when the embargo was lifted in 1945, around VE day, um, within 18 months, all four were gone. And it was 30 years before we started making comics in Canada again. Wow. So Margaret wrote this wonderful story that takes place during the lunch hour on VE Day, the story only takes place in about 10 or 15 minutes, but in that time, she just grabbed a hold of me, the story just like got its hooks in me, and I love the characters and I love the story, and I thought, there's so much more to this. I want to know, any good work leaves you unsatisfied. You want to know what happened before and what happened next and so on. So I pitched her the idea. Of developing the backstory. Did and you already
0: know her? Like, were you reading this in the paper, and you're like, "I got to give her a call"? Or no, no, no. no, no. Or I, what? Was,
2: I did the illustration for the story. Oh, okay, I okay. was tapped to do the oh, illustration. Okay, okay, I see. So, um, and she was quite amenable to that. So okay. we met and we sort of um, brainstormed the whole thing, and then I went away and, and did the script, and then she reviewed it and you know had all kinds of great suggestions about. Character development and so on, and uh, we met a couple of times, and then there's a lot of emails back and forth. But uh, for the most part, the script is mine as well.
0: That's awesome. So yeah, really but cool. it, was, it
2: was it was it was fantastic. And experience. she
0: has like a really big interest in comics. Like ever she's since she's a great
2: cartoonist. Working don't with Bedside know this.
0: Press, and she did that comic for some of their anthologies yeah. and yeah. stuff. So suddenly Margaret Atwood is becoming like a big graphic novelist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's cool. So. What was your approach to War Bears? Um, do you are you it, it's very like golden age obviously with the Canadian whites. Um, stylistically, what did you want to bring to it? There's a lot of Canadian comic history there yeah Well m- more than anything, because
2: it was a story about a company, uh, the three protagonists are uh, Gloria who runs the comics company which she inherited from her dad and she's, she's this very hard-nosed businesswoman and, and it was originally an ad agency. And she's just she's just exploiting what the latest thing is. She goes, oh, people read need comic books. We'll make comic books. And then Mike, who's the staff artist, who's like he doesn't care what he draws as long as he's busy. And then along comes Alan, who is this idealistic young guy who is trying to you know contribute to the war effort. And he has two older brothers who are serving the military, and his father kind of looks askance at him because he's not he thinks he's a slacker. And back during the war, that was like like all men of military service age who weren't serving were kind of suspect. Right. So he wants to do something to prove himself. So he goes to work for this company and he creates Ursanet, who is a weir bear who uh, punches out Nazis and has all these adventures. So I, I decided to do two different stylistic approaches, one very realistic uh, in full color, which is the, the, the ongoing story of the studio. And then we would actually see the comics that Alain is drawing of Ursanet's adventures. and Alan's things that happen in Alan's life, um, to his brothers, to, uh, what's happening to Canadian, you know, service uh, personnel during the war, informs those stories. Nice. So there's kind of a feedback loop in there between the two, you know, uh, different uh, approaches. Nice,
0: Joan. What is your opinion of War Bears? What What are your What are your thoughts on uh, War Bears?
1: Well, oh my gosh. Well, I, th- I think it's a really interesting story and you know it's like we always hear about you know all these movies and everything out there about these superheroes but never about the artists that that draw them right i mean it would a great be a great mini series i think um you know following uh, you know the artists behind these uh characters um but but this is a a really interesting story and a lot a lot of uh, comic book artists so- sometimes go through that. It's like they they want to draw comics, they want to you know do it in their way, but they have to make a living too. And they may end up drawing like washing machines or you know commercial art just to make the other thing happen. Right,
0: right. And
2: and if I may jump in, that's uh, Well, I don't I don't give away any spoilers, but you know they're, th- well, that's why I say it's a bittersweet story because as things change. At the end of the war, you know, Gloria sees opportunities, Mike sees opportunities, and then land just sees—it's everything slipping away because right. he knows things. There's this huge sea change happening, and he's deeply conflicted because, of course, it's VE Day. We've won the war. Right. Everyone should be happy, but he's not
0: because he's losing his job. Essentially, he's losing his dreams. Yeah. He's losing all the things that he created that that came from his heart. Right. Mm. Wow, that's a that's a big dilemma. I, I'm I'm very intrigued. Of course, part of War Bears has a lot of uh, Canadian history. There's there's allusions to like I think you put people in that have been on this podcast before, like Kevin Boyd and the Schuster Awards is a scene. Tell us about that and sort of incorporating real life comic history into, into this that goes beyond just the Canadian whites.
2: Well, I wanted to tie it up somehow. I didn't want to tie it up with a nice bow or anything, but. There's so much more to the story, and I, I'm hoping that there's there's more to the you know to War Bears uh, writ large, because I still want to know what happened to Alan afterwards. What happened when the studio stopped making comics and just started doing advertising again? What events in Canadian history? My my dad was a fighter pilot, so at the very end of the um, uh, the story in 1945, he is given the account to draw planes for A.V. Row, and AVRO became, Canada became Avro, which built, designed and built the Avro Aero, which is this magnificent aircraft that my dad would have flown. And all wow. these things are things which, you know, I kind of allude to, and I would love to, you know, examine those in the story. So I wanted to have a coda at the end where we see something of a resolution, again, without too many spoilers, that... Um, He's kind of drawn back out of retirement after having a career in illustration, a career as a teacher, and a career as a fine artist, which is an arc a lot of these artists went through. Right. I mean, Jerry Lazar, is, uh, who is one of Jones' instructors at OCA, actually drew comics when he was a teenager. He made more money than his parents did drawing comics, and then uh, became an illustrator, and then became a teacher, and then became a fine artist. So I wanted to, again, ground my character very firmly in, in reality Um, to give it that kind of verisimilitude, one of my favorite words. Um, So, um, yeah, because I wanted to wrap it up somehow so the audience could see that there was
0: so much more to the character after the story. Right, right. Sort of a past that you never saw with the real artist buying the Canadian Whites. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. That's awesome. So, it's on stands now, both Borealis and War Bears. uh, what has been sort of the reaction? How, how have you felt about the release of both of the projects?
1: The release of both of the projects. Like, what's what's the
0: reception been like for Borealis?
1: Um, really positive. Um, a lot of, um, uh, well, our friends didn't really know that, you know, I, I could. I don't know. Put put together a book or something. I, I, you know, they were amazed. Like, like some of the uh, friends that Ken's had over the years, and um, they're kind of on the peripheral, Like like Diana Schutz, who's um, you know been an editor for Dark Horse for many years. I mean, she knows us uh, like occasionally at uh, you know conventions. But Ken knows her. Uh, has a bigger history with her. But um, she didn't know that I drew. And she was amazed that, um, you know, I did this book. and
0: Yeah, literally, I went to coffee with someone before I met you, and they were like, I've heard of Ken Stacy, but yeah. who's Joan Stacy? Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, I don't mind being in the background. It's right. Like, you know, I, I don't need to be out there. But uh, I think the making of the comic is, uh,
0: you know, the
1: important thing is is to, to communicate uh, something that you've always wanted to communicate, and you know that's that's what gives me the joy. Well,
0: you can embrace this as your coming out party. Do you have any plans for any other graphic novels with the success um, of *Borealis*?
1: Well, I really like personal stories, and that's what drew me to uh, you know graphic novels in the first place. Um, and you know, I've got a wealth of You know people in my you know childhood or you know just growing up in a small town um, you know that I can write about my own family I mean there's all sorts of different things um, uh, I don't know something has to you know twig and and, uh, it'll set me off on a path Um, but yeah it's just like Borealis was that spark of Shaking hands with Marshall McLuhan after he had a stroke and he couldn't speak. Well, okay, there's a little spark, and then you know, then there's more to it. It's like, okay, communication. Okay, okay, this ties in. So the story is there, but I just have to do it.
0: And it's kind of if Marshall McLuhan can put stuff together and he can persevere, so can you. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's perseverance, persistence, and passion. Right.
0: That's awesome. And
2: I have to say, we both have been blessed with amazing publishers. I mean, Conrum has been enormously... I mean, you. when did you meet Andy first? It must have been...
1: I think it was back 2011. <laughs> and, and I approached him with the idea, but back then it was going to be like uh, three books. Um, but he wanted like a, a bigger book, like to have them all together instead of separately oh, yeah, like that. Really so, you know, I just did it over time and, you know... Came back to him and said, "Well, you know, it's almost finished. How right, about it?" And and like he was the publisher that I was after because I felt my work was a, a good fit with Conundrum uh, more than any of the other ones. Um, and I I just like what he published. So yeah. nice.
2: And for me, um, Dark Horse. It was great because Margaret had just finished um, Angel Catbird with Johnny, the absolutely amazing uh, Johnny Christmas and. Uh, when we, uh, I pitched the idea, she said, this sounds good. Should we approach uh, my editor at Dark Horse, who's Daniel Chabon, and I said, oh, that'd be a good idea, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. And so she wrote, fired him off an email. 15 minutes later, he wrote and said, hey, I hear you're doing a book with Margaret. Uh, we'd like to publish it. Nice. <laughs> it was the best. It's always great when that happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Danny was fantastic. Uh, Dark Horse was great. They did a really beautiful job. Uh, the only weird thing was I'd always thought it was a graphic novel. But they said, you know, we want to do it as a three issue miniseries first. And I thought, oh, OK. So you know, some adjustments had to be made when it was brought together. But the final package is just stunning. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful to uh, Margaret, who wrote a wonderful intro and an outro. Uh, Ivan Kochmarek, the historian, did a, uh, an introduction, as did Trina Robbins. Um, and again, the, the, you know, the package uh, was beautiful. I, I didn't even know they were going to put that, um, um, that, you know, that nice spot varnish on the logo and stuff. I mean, I was just, it just knocked my socks off when I, when I finally saw it. It was wow, beautiful. Wow,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, Dark Horse for War Bears and Conundrum for uh, Aurora Borealis. uh, Available at your local comic shop and and bookstores everywhere.
1: And libraries and universities. Uh, (laughs) It's so exciting to have my book at these places where, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) books. Yeah, and there's an educational component to both of them. Your personal story, Ken, the historical significance. So, uh, this is perfect for schools and libraries and stuff like that. Anyway, you guys, uh, check us out and check out their books. Uh, check us out on NeverSeeps Network and follow us at speechbubble.com. Uh, yeah. speech can I have Google one problem. more plug? Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
2: Joan and I are the co creators of the Comics and Graphic Novels program at Camosun College in Victoria, BC.
0: Oh, yes, you're a teacher, yes. Yes,
2: yes. And, and it's the only place, the only uh, program uh, where you can uh, go to learn the making of comics. It's a one year um, uh, certificate program. So, yeah, it's uh, www.comosun.ca slash comics, and that's C A M O S U uh, N dot C A slash comics.
0: And it's Canadian, you guys. You don't have to go to the Cooper School or anything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's in Victoria, bonus. So yeah, with right. the ocean.
1: And you end up with a comic book that you written, produced, everything. It's a, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh,
2: they call them floppies now
1: <laughs> it's, it's 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 not a whole story. It's it's many smaller stories like anthology eight pages, Kind of an anthology of their own work.
2: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's a 28 page comic that they've you know They've completely produced, and that we have a little festival called sea the Camosun comics art festival where they experience tabling we have uh, guest speakers come in Renee. No um, who just finished *The Handmaid's Tale* and which is uh, also magnificent? Uh, we had Brian Stelfreeze this year. Did the um, uh, *Black Panther* with Ace and Coats. Wow! Uh, it's 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 an amazing event. It's an
0: amazing program. So please uh, drop us a line. Yeah, check it out. Where can people follow you on uh, social media?
1: Uh, Joan Stacy. If you Google my name, it's what my last name? <laughs> oh yeah, right. S T E A C Y. Joan Stacy. And if you just uh, Google it uh, you'll go to my blog blog spot um, and I you know post pictures and some pages and talk about them and, yeah I've nice. been doing that for a while.
2: cool and me um, I'm just on. I'm really old school so I'm kind of still on Facebook and everybody tells me I should be Instagramming and Twittering and stuff but I haven't figured that out yet so mm. just you know uh,
1: it's got an Instagram thing but I, I I still have to remember I have it you know and to be spontaneous insta Instagram is like wait a minute okay
2: just keep coming back to speech bubble it's it's the best podcast there is and we'll be on regular
0: we'll be regular we'll call in I would love <laughs> to have you guys back obviously there's more to explore with Ken and your relationship and how you met and all that stuff oh, one more plug oh sure
2: our eldest son Alex who is a uh, web comic artist uh, has a book coming up from um, uh, Cloudscape Comics later this year. That's awesome. So there's someone else that you can. Uh, it's talk a family to. business. Yes, I know. it is.
0: It's a dynasty.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, cool.
0: Uh, yeah, comics going to the next generation. Yeah. Anyway, you guys, this has been a great interview. Uh, don't forget to uh, go and uh, follow us on social media at SpeechBubblePod. Pick up the books *War Bears* by Ken Stacy and Margaret Atwood, and *Aurora Borealis* by Joan Stacy. And we'll see you next time on SpeechBubble. Thanks, Aaron. Thank
2: you. That was great. Was time, <laughs> thank, thank you. So for
0: Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time.
2: Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.
0: Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberi. It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward, with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.